Good morning, Venture Church. Man, we are so excited that you are here with us this morning. If you didn't have a chance to meet me last week, my name is Joe Cartwright, and me and Chris actually go way back. We have known each other for a very long time. It started when Chris was my student pastor in middle school and high school. And then it kind of quickly became uh, a mentorship where he just poured into me and loved on me. And there's actually moments where he also was a lot like a father figure. I, I just remember him helping me through some of my darkest moments. He helped me get into Bible college to, to get into ministry. And all that to say, I'm super thankful for Chris. And I think a lot of you feel the same way. I think a lot of you have been impacted by him. And so, again, I thank God uh, every day for Chris and the impact that he had on my life. But enough with all the mushy nonsense. I know we got time for that. So let's get right into the good stuff. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Christmas at the Movies, where we're taking a look at some of the greatest Christmas movies of all times, and we're using that as a springboard to dive into God's Word, to see, okay, what is it about God's Word in these movies that share some common themes, some common truths? And last week, Chris kicked the series off with the movie it's a wonderful life. And I'm not going to go into it too much. Uh, I highly encourage you, if you haven't already uh, watched that sermon, go back and watch it or watch the movie uh, as well. But Chris talked about uh, this idea, these two questions. He asked two questions, two what-if questions. What if God didn't love us? And then what if we loved people the way that God loved people? And just like George Bailey in the movie, when he wrestled with the question, <clears throat> what if I had never been born? What if I'd never been born? We wrestled with those two questions and it gave us an opportunity to be thankful that God does love us and that we are called to go and to love the world just like he does. This week though, we're gonna shift gears quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um, when Chris asked me to, to jump in and be a part of the series, I immediately was like, yes, count me in, I'll do it. One, because I love this time of the year. I love this season, everything about it, from the little things down to the smells of a, of a Christmas tree to, like this morning, the brisk, uh, crisp air, the cool air when you walk outside and you get to see all the Christmas lights. I love Christmas lights. I love Christmas trees. I'm a sucker for decorating them. I love doing it with my family. And I just love all the things that come with it, the food, giving gifts, the presents, all of those things. I love this time of the year. And I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I'm that guy. I'm that guy that a lot of you probably hate because I also love Christmas music. I could listen to Christmas music in May, and some of you are like, I don't ever want to talk to you again. And that's fine. I understand. But I love this season. And two, it also meant that I had the opportunity to talk about, hands down, the greatest Christmas movie, no debate needed, of all time. Not only is it the greatest Christmas movie of all time, it might even make my like top 10 or 15 of all time. I absolutely love this movie. Are you ready for this? I, I don't know if you're quite ready for this. The movie Elf. Everybody say, hi, buddy. Hi, buddy. I love the movie Elf. Now listen, if you're watching right now and you've never seen this movie, 
Stop watching. Go and watch Elf. Don't worry about this message. You can come back and watch it later, but you need to go watch this movie because it is that good. But for whatever reason, you haven't seen this movie, and not liking Will Ferrell is not a good reason not to watch this movie. It's not a good reason. So you need to watch this movie. But if you haven't seen this movie, it is about a little baby who lived in an orphanage. And one year, Santa comes to the orphanage to deliver some presents. And as he's doing that, he finishes laying out the presents. He goes over and he gets distracted by the cookies and the milk. And he starts to eat the cookies and the milk, but he doesn't realize that in that moment, a baby in the orphanage crawls out of the crib and goes and gets inside of Santa's bag. He doesn't realize this till he gets back to the North Pole, and uh, he, he gets back to the North Pole, he's got his hands on his hip, and he's just like, oh, another year in the bag. But what he actually had in the bag was a baby, and, and all of a sudden he sees this little baby crawl out, and he's like, oh, what do I do with this baby? And he's in a dilemma because Santa loves babies, and so he's like, do I keep it? Do I take it back? I mean, he is at an orphanage. I, what do I do? So he decides to keep this baby. He takes this baby and he gives it to his head elf, Papa Elf, to raise this baby. And they end up naming him Buddy. And years go by and Buddy starts to realize, though, he grows up, he starts to realize he's not like all the other elves. He's gigantic. He sucks at making toys. He's like, something isn't, isn't right here. And Papa Elf is like, okay, well, it's about that time. I need to sit you down, Buddy, and I need to tell you the truth. You're not an elf. And in the movie, he just, he is destroyed and he's devastating. He starts to scream. He's like, I'm not an elf. But he doesn't let that hold him down. That doesn't ruin his joy. As a matter of fact, actually what it does, is it spurs him on to go and to find his biological father who happens to live in New York City. He's a, uh, he writes children's books, children's book for a living. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm not gonna let this hold me down. I wanna go find my father. But what happens is when he gets to New York, but he quickly realizes that it's vastly different than the North Pole. To check out this clip. And every time it rains, it rains. And it's from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains banners from heaven? You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Be shining your umbrella. Is up, 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 upside Thank down you. and trade them for a package of sunshine and ravioli. Macaroni! If you want the thing you love, you did you it! Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to meet you. Hi. Now come over here, boy. Sam. And every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's confident?
Get out of here. Get out of here. All these new things and experiences that he has, um, it's crazy. And, and it's just one of those things where he's super excited to be there. And this movie is hilarious. It's full of great quotes throughout the entire thing, like, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? <laughs> it's fantastic. Or, or, or that moment where he, he's making an etch-a-sketch, and he's like, I'm just not good at this. And he's like, just say it. I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins. <laughs> So, or, or he realizes that Santa's coming to visit, but he's coming to visit a mall to make an appearance in front of all these kids, but he quickly realizes that it's not the real Santa, it's an imposter. And so yeah, he quickly goes up to uh, the Santa and this imposter, and he gets down in his face in front of the kids, and he says, you live on a bed of lies. <laughs> There's just quote after quote. The list goes on and throughout the entire movie. You just see how happy and positive and loving Buddy is. And at times, it's actually a little infuriating because you're like, it's sick how happy you are. I can't stand it, but it's, at the same time, it's contagious. But I actually think it's something different. I think it's something different. I think there's something special about Buddy the Elf, something greater than just happiness. There's actually a specific word for it. Ms. Bethel alluded to it in her kids' moment. A word that appears all throughout God's word. Uh, actually, this word and its derivatives appear 430 times throughout the Bible. I mean, it's one of the core, the many core principles that make up the Christian faith. If you haven't already guessed it, that word is joy. I believe that what Buddy has is joy. Buddy always to, seems to be so full of this incredible Thing, this amazing word called joy. Even in moments like he's back in New York City and he, he finds where his dad's working, he starts to walk across the street and all of a sudden he gets hit by a car and he falls down, but he pops right back up. And the only thing, oh, yeah, show it. Sorry, sorry. Buddy gets hit by a car and he pops up with a smile and is like, hey, I'm sorry, my bad. This is ridiculous. Now, granted, he should have been paying attention, but that's just the thing about Buddy is that he represents joy even in moments getting hit by a car. This suit, Buddy the Elf, kind of represents, if you will, let's let this represent joy this morning. I don't know about you, but when this season rolls around, <clears throat> I absolutely Love it. And I get so excited. It puts a smile on my face. I love watching movies like this. And I can't help to experience a similar joy. But maybe some of you, <clears throat> regardless of Christmas time, or regardless of this movie, whether you've seen it or not, whether you hate it or not, maybe you feel like joy isn't an option for you right now. Maybe joy is just not possible for you. And maybe you're thinking, Maybe it's not an option because you're going through a difficult season right now where it just doesn't seem to be present. Uh, maybe you're thinking, Joe, listen, I, I love this time of the year. Actually, normally it's, it's one of my favorite too. And, and on the outside, I try to be full of joy, but I just can't. I just can't. Because um, just recently, me and my wife were trying to start a family. We were trying to start a family, and we were super excited, tried for a long time. Now, all of a sudden, we have, and it's this great moment, and we've picked out names and all this good stuff, but then we realize that something's not right. We realize that something's not right, 
and that we've lost the baby. So in all honesty, joy just isn't an option for me right now in this season. Maybe it's not a miscarriage. Maybe you or a loved one is facing one of the nastiest illnesses that there are. Maybe you're experiencing cancer and you're just full of pain because it's chemo treatment after chemo treatment and you just have these physical ailments that just keep you down. It's like, I cannot, I'm in so much pain, I can't experience joy. Don't ask me to. Or maybe a loved one that you have has months or weeks or days left to live and you're just like, joy isn't welcome here. Maybe you don't want it to be. Maybe you just want to hurt and experience that sadness. Maybe it's, it's the worst case scenario for, for some people. Maybe you recently have had a death in your family. Maybe you've lost someone, and the only thing that you feel is loneliness, emptiness. I, I can't, I don't know what joy is right now. I can't experience joy because I'm empty. I'm hurting. I'm in so much pain. Maybe it's not as extreme as those things. Still very challenging, but maybe recently, because of all this nonsense happening, you've lost a job. And because of that, your finances have taken a hit. Or maybe there's some sort of mental illness that you feel like uh, burdens you and that you can't get past and that joy is not welcome in that moment. Or maybe I didn't mention yours. Fill in the blank. Here's the deal. If that's you this morning, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're having to go through that right now. I'm sorry that this season is so hard, whether it's, it's something you're going through now or whether it's something that happened in the past around the same time that has crept in and, and filled you up with these emotions that has pushed joy out and pushed it away. My heart breaks for you. I'm sorry. So sorry. Maybe you know this already. Maybe you don't. But what if I told you that we can? What if I told you that we can experience joy no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstance was, that joy can exist in the midst of these difficult times. Actually, I'm going to take it a little further than that. What if we're encouraged to experience joy in these moments? What if we're encouraged to, almost even called to experience these in this moment? Listen, I know it sounds crazy, but that's actually the tension that we are encouraged to and called to live in as followers of Jesus. It sounds a little insane, and I get that, because, I mean, it seems a little countercultural to what we're used to hearing and seeing, but that's what God calls us to do, to experience joy even when it's hard. But how? How exactly am I supposed to live in this tension? This tension where over here, uh, these, these terrible, dif difficult situations have happened where um, death and cancer have crept in, and I have these emotions, this hurt, this anger, these feelings I can't get rid of. Maybe I don't want them to go away. Over here on this hand, I I'm dealing with this, but on this side, I have what God is telling me about joy. What God speaks and says about joy, whether it's an individual passage like this one in the book of James, uh, James chapter one, it says this, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's James, the half-brother of Jesus, saying, listen, when life sucks, consider it a joy. I'm like, what? Why? I don't want to do that. That's crazy. But this is coming from a guy who experienced his own trials throughout his life, especially as a relative of Jesus. At one point, James and his other brothers actually thought that Jesus was crazy and didn't believe him at all. I mean, imagine the embarrassment that came from some people thinking that you were crazy because, or thought you, uh, the embarrassment that came from that because you're related to a crazy person. Actually, don't think about that. That might hit way too close to home, and you probably think of a lot of people in your family that you're related to that are crazy. But Jesus was crazy. He claimed to be God. That would be embarrassing. And not only that, but there are other people who loved Jesus. So now all of a sudden, James has to live and walk in his shadow of this guy who's perfect. Everybody loves Jesus. Look at Jesus. Everybody wants him. Everybody loves him. They want to be with him. Thankfully, James came around and not only believed his brother, but he also believed in him. He allowed Jesus to be in control of his life and actually went on to be a very prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem. So on one hand, you have these feelings, these emotions, the hurt, the pain, the anger from these difficult situations. But on the other, you have passages like James chapter 1 that says, enjoy, experience joy all the time. Maybe it's not just a single passage, though. Maybe it's a specific moment that we see God working throughout history. There's, there's this awesome moment early on in the book of Acts where God does something that would affect people for the rest of history. And if you want to go ahead, you can turn uh, in your Bible, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Acts 2, 37 through 38. You can mark that page. We'll come back and read that in a second. And then also you can turn to Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and we'll read those here shortly. If not, you can just follow along with us. The words will be on the screen. But before we do that, let's, I, I want to set the stage of, the, uh, of something that was happening leading up to these verses. Everything that Jesus had done up until this point was leading to his crucifixion. He had been arrested, he'd been beaten, bruised, spit on, and then nailed to a cross. I mean, crazy. But then, of course, we know and we read that three days later, he raises from the grave. Literally kicks hell in the teeth. This is not today Satan. But he doesn't go straight to heaven. Instead, actually, Jesus sticks around. He makes several appearances to uh, a couple different groups of people. A lot like his mom, he appears to his mom. He appears to Mary Magdalene. But then he also appears to his disciples. John 21, 25 says this. There are so many other things Jesus did. If, there were, if they were all written down, each of them, one by one, I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. When Jesus had a plan, he had an agenda, he had a lot to do before he went to heaven to kick it with his dad. He had an agenda. Then one night he appears to his disciples before he actually ascends into heaven. He has one final command for them. He was so excited to tell them about this. He'd been anxiously waiting, and this is what he says in the beginning of the book of Acts. It says this, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus is like a little, little kid at Christmas 
no pun intended. He sticks around a little longer instead of just going right to heaven just to tell them about this incredible gift that they would soon receive. This gift that would give them power and that would guide them in their journey to share the message of his hope and of his grace to all the world. Flash forward just a little bit to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was originally a festival where Jewish people would come and celebrate and give thanks for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. But it later became a celebration of that moment when God was on top of Mount Sinai with Moses and he gives him the 10 commandments. And all the disciples were gathered in one place when all of a sudden this violent wind comes blowing through the house where they were. And in that moment, they saw tongues of what looked like fire came and rested down on them. Crazy stuff. You, uh, you can't make this up. What that did, though, is it allowed them to speak in other languages. It allowed them to speak in other languages, so they did. They started speaking out loud in different languages uh, of all the people who were visiting for the festival. And there was a lot of people there for this moment. And while this was happening, a crowd of people noticed that they were speaking in all these languages for them to be able to hear. And each person was like, I can hear this in my own language. And they were blown away. They actually started asking questions like, are, are these people drunk? Like, what's going on? And as more and more people started to gather together around the disciples, Peter stands up and he starts to preach. And he preaches one of the greatest sermons of all times. He actually even addresses the drunken accusation. He's like, guys, it's nine in the morning. Seriously, like they're not drunk, okay? Work with us here. But what Jesus did is he started talk, or what Peter did is he started to talk about Jesus and what he did on the cross. He actually even calls these people out and he says, listen, you're the ones that asked for Jesus instead of Barabbas. You're the ones who put him on the cross. This is your fault. And they were cut to the heart. I mean, that hit hard. When Peter is done, with his sermon, the people are mesmerized. Check out how they respond to what he just said and then what Peter tells them to do with this, this new information in Acts 2, 37 and 38. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the thing that Jesus talked about before he ascended into heaven. The thing he was so excited about was the Holy Spirit. God made the Holy Spirit available to everyone who was willing to repent of their ways and to be baptized. This free gift that would, change, that would forever live inside of them and anyone else who was willing to do the same thing. Now, this is not a message on the Holy Spirit. That's for another day, another time, another series when we have a whole lot more time to talk about. But the reason this is so important is because the Holy Spirit that we receive when we decide to follow Jesus is God himself in a spiritual form. We can't see it, but it lives and works inside of us and through us forever. This is a free gift that God offers to any and everyone it doesn't stop there, though. It doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit is the gift that keeps on giving. Not only did God give us his spirit as a gift, but the Holy Spirit also gives us a gift. Multiple gifts, as a matter of fact. He gives us karpos, the Greek word for fruit. And I'm not talking about apples and bananas. I mean his very own characteristics and qualities 
The things that make up who he is. And these fruits that he produces in us are supposed to be used to, to model for everyone to see. If you still have that passage in Galatians, Mark, go ahead and flip there. The Apostle Paul reminds the church in Galatia what exactly they get from the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in that verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Did you catch that? Let me read those again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy. Joy is one of those fruits, that carpos, the things that the Holy Spirit produces in us. And that joy is in us to use for everyone else to see. That means that God gave us a gift that is always with us and doesn't go away, and it produces joy. Therefore, joy is always present inside of us. We aren't meant to experience, uh, we're meant to experience joy all the time and not just some of the time. That's that tension that I've been talking about. Over here on one hand, we have these feelings, these emotions, my, my sadness, my anger, the hurt, the pain that I'm feeling from the things and the difficult seasons that I'm going through. But over here on the other hand is what God says about joy. His, his feelings on the matter and how we're supposed to experience joy. I, I know how I feel and I know what God wants, but how exactly do I reconcile this? How do I reconcile these two things? How do we live in this tension that we've been talking about this morning? I actually believe the answer lies in the definition of joy. And it lies in the definition of joy, but what is joy? What is joy? How do you define joy? I was talking with Aaron the other night and I asked him, I said, Aaron, how would you define joy? And he looked at me for a second, he thought, and he kind of laughed and he said, that's a good question. And that was really it. That was the conversation. And it's actually kind of what I expected him, how I expected him to respond. And if I asked you to write down a definition of joy, you might have a hard time coming up with one as well. I mean, I know I would, and I know I did until I really studied and dove into what joy really means. Here's what I know. I know that Webster, Webster's Dictionary defines joy as this. It's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Here's what else I know. Webster got it wrong. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm going to. Webster got it wrong. I don't know about you, but for me, one of the best ways to understand, to better understand something and what it is, is to understand what it isn't. And I'll tell you what joy isn't. Joy isn't happiness. Joy isn't happiness. Joy and happiness aren't synonymous with each other. Too often people use them interchangeably or even use happiness as a part of their definition of joy. But the problem is that, the, is that happiness is a state or feeling of showing pleasure. I think we can all agree that there isn't much pleasure here in these moments, in these seasons, the miscarriage, the death, the cancer. There's not much pleasure in those moments. Happiness is a situational emotion that comes from a positive experience. So joy isn't happiness. Joy also isn't situational. 
Joy is a situational. Too often joy seems to be considered an ebb and flow type of emotion. We think, man, I'm up here on the mountaintop. Life is good. I'm full of joy. But then all of a sudden, when life isn't good, I can't experience that joy. But the truth is that joy isn't reserved for just the mountaintops, but it's also welcomed in the valleys. As we read in James, joy isn't reserved for the good times, but it's meant to be experienced even in the bad. Paul confirms this idea in his letter he wrote to the church in Philippi. Maybe they forgot and they just needed a reminder, but he's locked up in prison and he still has this attitude. And you're like, how do you do this, Paul? And this is what he says. It says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul's locked up. He's in prison. He has people trying to step into his place and take credit for what he's been preaching. And he still somehow, some way managed manages to experience joy and to have it on the forefront of his heart and his mind. So joy isn't happiness. Joy isn't situational. And lastly, joy isn't occasional. Joy isn't an every now and again feeling. It's an all the time experience. Later on, actually in the same letter that Paul writes to that church, he says this, he's still in prison. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Paul didn't say sometimes, he said all the time. So if joy isn't happiness, if it's not an experience that's situational, or or it's not something that's supposed to be experienced occasionally, then what is it? Well, after all my studying, and I'm not a scholar, I'm not special, but I love Jesus, and after all my studying and my understanding of joy, here's the definition that I came up with. Joy is a continual, overwhelming feeling of being thankful for the moments of the past, grateful for the blessings of the present, and hopeful of the gifts of the gifts to come in the future, regardless of our current situations. In short, joy is being thankful for the past, grateful for the present, and hopeful of the future. Joy is saying, man, I know that life has been difficult lately, so challenging, but I'm so thankful for the moments that put a smile on my face. My life has been so full of pain and hurt in this time, but I'm so grateful for the opportunities that will come from this. Man, I can't get over this pain and this hurt. I just want it to go away, but I know everything will be okay because that's what God tells me. Joy is this incredible gift, a product of the Holy Spirit himself that lives inside of us, meant to lead us and guide us. Having joy isn't, uh, doesn't mean that hard times will actually disappear. It just means it'll be easier to weather those storms. Here's the deal. I love digging into God's word and, and, and studying it, understanding it better, nerdy things like word studies, all of, and asking questions, saying, God, why? But what I love even more than that is being able to take what I've learned to be able to follow Jesus closer, to be able to seek after righteousness or, or a right way of living. I like making God's word practical so that I can put it into practice. 
And that's exactly what we're going to do as we're wrapping up this morning. Not only is it my prayer and my hope that you walk away with a better understanding of joy so that you can know that it's available for you all the time here, mountaintops, valleys, whenever it is, it doesn't matter that it's, that it's always available. But I also want to give you something that will help activate, hopefully activate that joy that's in you so that you can experience that joy. Here's what I want you to do. If you're at home, go ahead and grab a piece of paper. Uh, if you don't have anything nearby, uh, go ahead and later on in the week, uh, get a piece of paper. Try this activity. It's been super helpful for me, and I actually encourage you to make it become a part of your, your weekly routine. And here's, here's what I want you to do. We're going to use this whiteboard for a second. And at the top of your paper, I want you to do this. I want you to write whatever it is that difficult circumstance has been, that thing that has caused that pain, that anxiety, uh, the, the anger, whatever emotion that's come with that, write that up here at the top in this blank. And then what I want you to do is I want you to draw two lines, and then I want you to write past at the top. In the middle, I want you to write present. And at the bottom, I want you to do this. I want you to write future. And I want you to take some time to think about this situation. Whatever it is that you've been experiencing, whatever has caused this pain, this anger, this hurt that just doesn't seem to want to go away, where you think joy isn't possible, I want you to write that up here. Then I want you to think about the past. Think about the moments that you had in the past that were the good ones. Think about the opportunities right here now in the present that you have, even in the midst of this difficult time and then I want you to think about the future and the hope that you have. I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll, I'll do one for myself. Uh, in July, me and my wife came to visit Wilmington, and it was a great time. We were celebrating uh, our 10th anniversary. Long time. It's felt like 50, but uh, no, just, just kidding. Um, it, was, it was fantastic. We came here for two weeks. We got away from the kids. My mom stayed with them. Super thankful for that. It was a great time to get away. We got to hang out with uh, Karen, Aaron, and just, just get away and have some us time. And it was fantastic. Well, my dad lives about five hours away in Norfolk, Virginia, and we had been in touch with him. We hadn't seen him since last Christmas. And we we're like, hey, we're going to try to get to Virginia to see you but uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. And so the Thursday before we're about to leave, <clears throat> we went deep sea fishing, had a great time. It was a blast, but we were exhausted. And so I called my dad when we got home, like, dad, listen, I'm not going to be able to make it to Virginia this time. I, we're just exhausted. Tomorrow we got to pack and the next day we got to be up super early. So listen, we're not going to make it, but I want to tell you, we were living in Colorado at this time. And I was like, I wanted to let you know that we're actually moving back home. So I gave, gave him a little bit of hope, and he was super excited about that. So we leave Saturday. Monday morning, that next Monday morning, I get a phone call from the hospital uh, giving me an update on my dad and how he was doing. And I was like, uh, I never got a message in the first place telling me that my dad was in the hospital. So this was kind of news to me. But Sunday night, he called 911 because he was having a hard time breathing. And so he's in the hospital, and they had to intubate him, and he was really struggling and over the next day or so, he started to get better, and they actually extubated him, and they took the tube out, and he was doing, he was doing better. And they actually started talking about physical therapy like it was going to be fine. Nothing crossed my mind other than, oh, my dad's going to get better, and he's just going to have to go through physical therapy. A couple days go by, and he starts to, to get worse. And doctor, they had, uh, doctor calls me, and he's like, listen, most people have this thing 
this extra little fight and this push in them to get through these difficult moments. I don't know if your dad has that. And it didn't really register still, but my wife was on the phone and he was like, listen, I I just want to ask these questions and they're not easy, but do you want us to intubate again? Do you want us to, to resuscitate him? And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe we could do that because, I mean, it would keep him alive. And, and my, my wife was like, Joe, that's not the best thing for your dad right now. A couple, later, uh, couple hours later, I get a phone call from the doctor again, uh, and they told me that my dad had passed, uh, that he didn't make it. I tell you that because I've been in a season myself, uh, where all I've really been able to think about is death. I felt empty. I felt like a piece of me is missing. You only get one dad, and it's hurt. I haven't been able to sleep in the last couple months. I've had a hard time eating at moments. All I can think about is my dad, and what I want is my dad back, but that's not going to happen. But thank God that I have Jesus. Because I did this activity and I said, my dad died, now what? Well, I know that I can go back to the past and I can think about all the moments we did have, visiting Yankee Stadium, going watching ball games together, hanging out laughing all the time, all the wisdom he shared with me. I know that in the present right now, I have an opportunity to be able to love on other people who experience and go through the same thing that I'm going through. I have a buddy, uh, actually you, you might know him, uh, Glenn, he just preached a couple weeks ago, his dad also just passed away from COVID. And it just hit too close to home. And I texted him this morning, I said, dude, I'm about to preach on joy. And I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about you. And, um, and that uh, it's hard, but joy is welcome in this moment too. And then I thought about the future and the fact that my dad actually loves, he loved Jesus so I get to see him again. And not only that, but I too will be able to see Jesus myself. This is joy. This is joy, and it's been hard. My encouragement to you this morning and my hope <clears throat> is that you can walk away with a greater understanding of joy so that you can know in these moments, whatever they are, that you can experience joy as well. Actually, not just can, but you're called to as followers of Jesus. Joy is meant to be right here. So my hope this morning is that you will find some way to be able to zip back up that suit, put back on that joy, not suppress the feelings, keep feeling them, because I'm still hurting, I'm still angry, I'm still upset but that joy is still very much so present. And that's what's getting me through. That's my hope for you this morning. If you don't have that, we just want to let you know that that's an option for you. If you've never thought about what it would look like to follow Jesus or to be able to experience the same type of joy, we would love to connect with you. Please reach out to us. You can call me. My number is 757-685-1366. I don't care for the whole world to know it. Call me and we'll talk about it. Because this isn't going to change. These moments aren't going to change. They're going to keep happening. But there's this gift, this amazing gift that is in us that doesn't go away. Where we're thankful for the past, 
grateful for the present and hopeful of the future. And that's called joy. Let's pray.